All right, so um, before I jump into the message, a reminder about this point of our service, all right? All of you get to stare at me for another 30 or 45 minutes, but let me just remind you, you're not just staring at me, all right? So here's our heart and our goal every time we're coming before the Word of God, is what I want to encourage you and challenge you to do is be thinking more about, God, what could you be speaking to me today? God, what do you want to put inside of my heart today? Uh, rather than thinking, wow, this is a good sermon or a bad sermon, okay? Because I know some of you guys are so nice. You see me after service, and you're like, great sermon, Mitchell. And I'll say thank you. But what I'm more interested in is what was God speaking to you, and what are you going to do with the message? What are you going to leave here with, and how is it going to be applied to your life? Because I think most of us know this um, scripture in James. We're called not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Yes, amen? And hopefully that's your heart, that you want to apply the Word of God to your, to your life. And so just be sensitive to what God might be highlighting and speaking to you today, because I think He's got something for all of us. All right, so catch you guys up to speed. If you haven't been with us, we are in this series called All, A-L-L. Everybody say All. And uh, we, this word is used in multiple different scriptures that we are unpacking over the next several weeks. And uh, this, what we're starting with, though, is the word All from the Greatest Commandment. Jesus thankfully summarized the commands of Scripture in what he called the first and the greatest commandment. And in Mark 12, 30, this is a version of it, he says when he was asked, Teacher, what's the first? What's the biggest? What's the most important? What is the greatest of all? Mark 12, 30, he responds to that and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Somebody say all. And he wants us, in a, in a, by his grace, to present to him all of each of those things. And what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is kind of breaking down heart and then soul. This week, I'm going to jump to strength. And then next week, we're going to talk about loving God with all of our mind. And because, you know, there's, there's definitely some cohesion and just kind of interconnections with all of these different ways and words he uses. But there is some distinction that I wanted to highlight I think it could be helpful for us because my assumption is that if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you what you want to love God with all. Nod your head if at least that's true for some of you guys. You want to give them all. You want to obey this first and greatest commandment. And uh, notice it's a commandment, not a suggestion. And the Lord said the greatest suggestion is no. He said this is a command. There's really no wiggle room. It is it is a command. Remember his commands are not burdensome. Um, but he also clarified this is the first, this is the greatest, this is of utmost importance. And I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Like, what if this greatest command of Jesus became our number one goal in life? What if this was our number one dream? Beyond, like, all of your life circumstances and your American dream or your just picture of what your future looks like, you know, at least externally, we all have a picture of that, and that's not necessarily wrong. But what if what trumped that was your heart being so alive in God that you really could say, I am loving him with everything. Like that is a better dream than you getting the best job, having the best spouse, and then all, this, all these circumstances around you. Like it is a vibrant heart before the Lord, loving him with everything. And we were made for this everything, this wholeheartedness. Now the reality is we will not live in this all or this wholeheartedness without revelation of two things. I shared this last week, but I'm going to show you again. We will not give God our all unless we have revelation of his worth, like how worthy he is, 
The number two, revelation of his love. Everybody say love. We must understand. Let me talk about his worth for a second. Guys, he is so much, he, he's so much more of a big deal than any of us ever know. He, we will laugh at the things that we cared so much about, the small things that we cared so much about on the earth when we are standing before him, this incredible, indescribably glorious God who spoke the world into existence. Like, in a sense, we'll laugh at, wow, I cared so much about this small thing. And I just, I long for this to be increasing in my life that, man, I just know he's a bigger deal than I th th thought he was yesterday. And I think that I thought he was this morning as I was worshiping, which I was loving it. <laughs> like, God, you are beautiful. You are glorious. But he's far more than I, re than I realize right now. And I want to keep being drawn into who are you, God? How worthy are you? But then let's talk about his love. Guys, he loves you more than you imagine. So much more than I imagine. And we know that we can only love God because he loved us first. I've been sharing this phrase. I'm going to keep repeating it because I want it to stick. But this is the phrase. It'll be on the screen. There is no way for us to sustain like a vibrant love to God without continually receiving God's vibrant or energized or passionate, affectionate love for us. And, um, and I want to, everybody say the word receiving. And I'm intentional with that word because this is different than just the fact that you can say God loves you. This receiving includes like meditating on it, like feeling it deep within you. And there's a couple scriptures that, that were on there just a second ago. There's references. It's Ephesians 3 where Paul's like, guys, I am praying that you not only know God loves you, but you experience it within you deeply. This love surpasses knowledge is how he phrases it in Ephesians 3. And um, specifically this morning, when I, I want you to think about something. It's related to God's love for you. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this, but let me just ask. If you're ever like sitting and wondering God, like, about God looking at you, what do you picture his facial expression being when he looks at you? Just ponder that for a second. If you don't ever think about that, which <laughs> probably not all of you woke up this morning, God, what's your face like today? If you did, praise the Lord, come and teach us. Okay, but I think I'm uh, just thinking about this because I think it's really helpful for us. A lot of us have a picture or idea in our mind um, of what that could be, and oftentimes it is related to our earthly fathers. But let me show you this very familiar verse, number 6, 24 through 26. You can thank Carrie Job for making this more famous. But here's what it says. But this was around before Carrie, all right? The Lord bless you and keep you. And make his what? Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his what? His countenance. Like the, the way that he is, in a sense, his face is looking at you. And lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The reason I want you to, um, to think about this for a second is what kind of countenance or what kind of face leads to peace? You know, it leads to you receiving his grace. And now here's what I want to submit to you. When the Lord looks at you, your Father in heaven looks at you, he is not looking at you with a frown. He's not scolding you. You know, he's not just, I can't believe you can't get it together. You've been failing so often, you know, just scolding you. But I just believe he wants you to see his face full of love, full of mercy, like smiling at you, delighted that you are his son or his daughter, and saying, come to me, I love you, come to me. And listen, no matter our failings, no matter our sin, like that is, that is his primary posture to us. 
If he needs to rebuke us, he will, but it will not be from this place of you got to you, you gotta get your act together. You know, it's, it's gracious and it's merciful. The Lord is gracious to you. I just want his face to shine on you guys this morning and receive that he is smiling over you and he loves you dearly. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Of course, we got a lot of young folks here, but I'm talking to anybody in their 50s and their 60s. The Lord's smiling at you. He loves you. He cares about you. And we need to believe this and receive this about God because it'll affect our love back to him. I want you to look at somebody next to you and just tell them that God's smiling at them. Go ahead, tell them, like you believe it. God's smiling at you. It's good news, guys. It's really good. All right, like I said this morning, I'm going to talk about loving God with all of our strength. And as I've already repeated, it's just like this is not just about us to him, us to him. Let me give you more strength. Just think about first, God loves you with all of his strength. Okay, I read this morning in my just kind of my uh, reading. I'm reading through Mark right now, and I read the story of Jesus uh, leading up to his crucifixion. And I was just thinking and seeing all, this, all these ways that the Lord Jesus loves us with all of our strength. He gave his entire life. He gave his body. He was beaten and broken for us. And this is a demonstration of his love with his strength, his physical strength towards us. And so just remember that as I'm going to be building on our loving of him with all of our strength. All right? So let's talk about strength for a little bit because I want you guys to have a little more understanding of what I'm talking about with our strength. Uh, think anything that we do externally. Because if you think about mind, heart, soul, so the other three in the greatest commandment, those are very clearly internal. Like your heart desires, affections, your thoughts, your soul, that deepest place of who you are. But strength is the only one that you can really think about things externally. Okay, so think actions, words, just your very presence, your time, your service, what you do with your money, your energy, your body, using your creativity, your gifts, talents, and skills. It's using our resources to express, not just financially, but using our resources of our strength to express our love to Jesus. Okay, loving God with our strength includes lots of things. There's five I'm going to focus on as I get to the end of this message. Let me go ahead and put them up right now, but there's five ways of loving God with our strength areas or categories that I will talk about a little bit later and break down, but that's giving, speaking, our fasting, our praying, and our serving, and I'll break those things down, um, like I said, in a little bit, give you guys some biblical examples, but also what could that look like for us today, okay, but here's a couple simple examples of some ways that you're loving God with your strength, so literally you guys getting up, exerting energy this morning to come to church is a version of you loving him with your strength. So ready to go, guys. You're here. If you got a friend that's snoozing right now, text him. Say, listen to this message. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> but do rebuke them. Okay. Um, you know, it's, I, I think of, now listen, now, now you're here. Now, I didn't comment on what's the posture of your heart. What are you actually thinking about? Are you thinking about Chipotle? Are you thinking about this message? I don't know. You know, just like, so there's different degrees of this. You think about what I mean is lunch. You know, it's just, what are you, what are you thinking about? Okay, um, but you're here physically, and that is a great is a great start. Okay, I also think of you know the person that gets up uh, in the morning to spend time with God, even though they're really tired, but they're doing it because they love 
They love him. I think about someone who's, who commits faithfully to tithing, giving 10% of your f- first fruits to the Lord because you trust him and you love him and you want to love him with this area of your life. It's about serving someone else for no benefit of your own, just to bless somebody, even if they don't see you. And um, it's about putting others' needs above your own. I think of my wife, Beth, and just really want to honor her and all, these, all you moms out there, just the countless times where you get up in the middle of the night to care for and serve someone and that flows. Of course, it's serving another person, but hopefully it's flowing out of this desire to, man, I want to honor God and love him by serving somebody else even when I'm tired. She had a couple opportunities to do that last night. <laughs> and I just said, I'm going to let you love God with your strength right now, Beth. <laughs> just kidding. That's, that's kind of what I did. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> but the other six nights of the week, it was me. All right. Um, but let's talk. Uh, let me show you one more thing. It says definition. Then I'm going to give a couple clarity points. Um, there's the Greek word that will be up here on the screen. I don't even know exactly how to pronounce it, but somebody else can try. <laughs> you're speaking in tongues over there what are you doing all right (laughs) okay so this greek word uh it means ability so loving god with your ability with your strength with your might with your force and i kind of summarized it in that second point intentionally everybody say intentionally exerting effort and energy as an expression of our love and devotion to god when we're talking about loving God with our strength, it is intentionally exerting effort and energy as an expression of our love and our devotion to God. I want you to think about that. I encourage you to just write that down and, because this is, I think, a, a point that gets pretty quickly overlooked or there's definitely a lot of misconception with this, uh, especially in our culture. So let me, let me comment. Let me, talk about, let me talk about the first misconception here, and that's related to God's grace. Because here's, here's a common way of thinking, or maybe you've been taught this. If something is hard, and it requires a lot of energy and effort in my relationship with God, I probably shouldn't do it because I don't want to fall into a striving mindset. Because really, it's all about His grace, resting in His grace. Okay, anybody ever thought that before, heard that before? <laughs> Now, it is about God's grace. It is about resting in his grace. But let me show you this. This is really important. It'll be on the screen. Grace is not opposed to effort. God's grace is opposed to earning, an earning mindset. I'm doing this. God owes me this. Okay, I'm going to pay this, and then he's going to give me this. It's just this transactional you know, just void of relationship type of striving and earning. Listen, there's even great songs out there, you know. There is no striving. We sang that a couple weeks ago. There is no striving in his love. Now, that's a great song if you know what that means. <laughs> it's not, there is no hard work. I can be lazy in your love. That's not the song. <laughs> that's not what we're singing, Okay. God's grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to an earning mindset. Now, according to Ephesians 2, a lot of you guys will be familiar with this. Ephesians 2 is very clear. We are saved by grace and not by works, our our own effort. And we know that to be true, but I would say too quickly and erroneously, we assume that all of our works or efforts in life don't matter. But we don't realize the very next verse in Ephesians 2 talks about good works. Okay, this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, let me just make sure we're clear in this room. The only way 
Either you, me, any of us in this room can be saved is by the grace of God. It's the work of Jesus. It's the only way we can be saved. You guys believe that? This is not by works. This is not by us doing things. Okay? But once we receive the grace of God that gives us eternal life, our salvation, we are now empowered, energized by the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by empowered. We are energized by the Holy Spirit to walk out in good works, not to earn anything, not to make up for anything, but as an expression of our love and gratitude to God. I'm energized by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, to love him back by what I do, by what I say, by what I give, by how I treat somebody. Not because I'm trying to be enough, not because I'm earning something back or paying back. No, his grace is empowering me to work hard, so to speak, exert energy and effort, because I love him and I'm so thankful for what he's done in my life. Now, we often also misuse, or maybe a better way, isolate the meaning of the word grace. Okay, so let me give you two kind of common ways it's used. His grace is like God's loving, merciful forgiveness towards us. Yes. Okay, but also his grace is more about, like I was just mentioning, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to overcome or to do something good. Let me give you an example, okay, as it relates to sin. Here's a common way of thinking is, and it's not, not wrong, but let me give you two different ways. One is, man, I just blew it yesterday. I sinned. I'm so thankful for God's grace. That would be a good, good statement. But here's what's also true. Man, I was tempted yesterday, and I overcame. Praise the Lord for his grace. Do you see the difference there? Okay, both are true, but I want us to realize that there is the grace of God that doesn't just forgive us of our mistakes and our sin, but it's the grace of God that empowers us to overcome. Titus 2 really lays that out very clearly. It says the grace of God literally uses this phrase. Titus 2, I think it's verse 15 or so. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to lust, no to worldly passions. It's God's grace to do that. Here's what um, Paul says. This is just so, I love this passage because it's just so sandwiched with God's grace, strength, and then Paul working really hard. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Here's, here's what Paul says. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But then he goes back. But it was, but though, <laughs> though it was not I, it was the grace of God working in me. I love that. I love that because Paul is saying I'm working hard, but he's also saying the reason is because what God's doing in me by his grace. And this is this balance where, you know, God's grace empowered Paul to love God with all of his strength. I love this. To, of course, and we, some of us know about the life of Paul and planting churches and doing ministry and forgiving those that have wronged him. Like, all of that required a lot of grace. But Paul's like, hey, it empowered me to work really hard, to not quit, to not give up. Now, you can chew on that for a long time. Hopefully, um, I didn't lose you there. And also, let me comment on this, and hopefully I don't lose you again. Uh, I want to talk about, um, God, uh, about strength. Okay, loving God with his strength, but I want to talk about kind of a little bit of a unique dynamic here. Again, hopefully I don't lose you. When I'm talking about loving God with all of our strength, what this is really about is weakness. Let me explain. Now listen, definitely use all the strength you have. Exert all the energy and effort you can in your love to God. Spend yourself physically, mentally, financially, etc. However, we do need to remember something. 
if you say yes to loving God with all of your strength, you're going to find out something soon. You don't have very much. <laughs> all of us are weaker than we would like to admit. Okay? We, we say and commit uh, with such vigor and passion. I'm going to do this. I'm going to wake up this time every morning. There you go. Let's go. You make it four days in. You did it. And then you're like, ah, man, slept in. Or we realize that, you know, it's like you're dreaming about doing something amazing for God. And then you get into trying to do that thing. And you realize it feels different than when you were imagining doing it. <laughs> I had uh, a friend ask me at Life Group the other day. He's like, hey, you know, you're dreaming this summer, thinking about this fall. How, how's it going right now? And I was like, it felt easier when I was dreaming in the prayer room for hours just about what things, you know, it's just like, oh, this is hard work. Okay, but wait, what do we do? Do we quit? Because we are trying to love God with all of our strength, but we come short, do we quit? No. The discovery of how weak we are is a huge setup from God. Okay, look at this. Acknowledge, I want you to remember this phrase. So I put these things on the screen so you remember them. Ready? Acknowledging our lack of strength is an amazing invitation into receiving God's strength. Acknowledging our lack of strength is an invitation into receiving God's strength. Look at this conversation in 2 Corinthians. Again, this is Paul, and look how the Lord's responding to him. 2 Corinthians 12 says, But he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Then Paul's like, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am. Isn't that great? Now, let me just comment. Keep that up there just for a little bit. Okay, this is the familiar passage that some of us know about this thorn in the flesh that Paul was wrestling with God about. Okay, let me just clarify something because I've heard this teaching and some of you might have heard it, but he's not talking about sin. So if you have a constant struggle in a certain sin area, please don't say it's this thorn in my flesh. No, it is a sin you need to repent of and there is no compromise. Bible says make no compromise for the flesh. Make no excuses for staying in something. What Paul's clearly talking about is listed in verse 10. His weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamity. He didn't say my sin addiction or this thing, you know. It's like expressing that we're trying to love God, but we're falling short, okay, we're, and I'm expressing weakness. This is what he's talking about. Now, if we are in sin, guess what? God will, is so merciful and forgiving, and he will forgive you. Just come clean before him. But I just want to clarify that this is something a little bit different. Now, this is woven all throughout the scriptures. There's three more verses that talk about God's strength and God's might in us. And I don't want you to miss this because I would hate for you to leave today thinking that the point of this message is work really hard for God in your own strength. That is not the point of this message. Okay? There, there is going to be a time where you feel like you're working hard, but I want it to make, be sure that it's God's strength working in you, not just you trying to do it all on your own. So several others that will all be on the screen together. Ephesians 1.19 talks about the immeasurable greatness of his power or his strength to us who believe according to the working of his great might or strength. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of whose might? His might. Love that. And 1 Peter 4, whoever serves, one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here's my encouragement with this little tangent I just took you on about God's strength versus our strength. 
my encouragement is get to the place of acknowledging your weakness early. Early. <laughs> get there early. When I fail and when I come short, when I, you know, think the easiest application of this is just patience with my children. When I fall short, I just, man, I wish I would have got to this place sooner. And here's what this place looks like for me. I realize I'm about to explode or about to get angry, about to just do something because whatever the reason is. Usually it's because I'm cranky. <laughs> it's like whatever the reason is. You know, it's like when I feel that I want to I wanna leave the scenario, go to my room, shut the door, say, Beth, you're up, and get on my face and say, God, I can't. I don't have, I don't have any patience. <laughs> I don't have any gentleness right now. I don't have any kindness. I, God, I don't have any strength. Fill me with yours. Fill me with yours. The earlier I get there, the better the day goes. <laughs> and they don't always go great. But I'm just giving an example of, you know, whatever that is in your life. A lot of you guys don't have kids, but when you're feeling that temptation to lust again or to look at pornography again or you're tempted to slander somebody again, get to this place on your face before God and say, I can't overcome this, God. I can't do it in my own strength. Fill me with yours, God. Fill me with yours. And he is so faithful. You might not feel something huge in the moment, but he hears you, and he will respond to you. And so receive it by faith. All right, and it's just this beautiful exchange in that place where we acknowledge our lack of strength, and we ask God for his strength. Then he gives us his strength, and then we use that strength to love him back. And then he gives us the, the credit for it, not like the glory, but he's like, thank you for loving me with your strength. And then we're like, wait a minute, no, I have the strength because you gave it to me. It's this beautiful exchange, just like God wants it, where we are increasing in our love for him because we're relying on him and we're sharing our weakness, we're receiving from him, using what he's given us to love him back, and it's just this beautiful thing. So enter into that beautiful exchange of laying down your weakness but receiving God's strength and then love him back with that. Amen? All right. All right, here's why we're going to close for the next 45 minutes is uh, we're going to talk about these uh, five areas of focus of, you know, this different dimensions, I'll call them, of loving God with our strength. Each of these have a dimension of strength to it that I hopefully will explain to you. And once you put those five things up there real quick again, it's giving and it is, what else? It is speaking, fasting, praying, serving, 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 and these all five of these are mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. There's a couple other versions of the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the other Gospels. But that would be a good resource uh, for you. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. See where these things play themselves out. And it give, it's given us examples of loving God with our strength. Okay. Now here's one thing I want to make sure I emphasize before we move on and talk in depth about this. And that is this. When we do these things, loving God with our strength, we need to ensure that it is unto God and not unto other people. Okay, verse uh, Matthew 6. This, here's one example of in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus is talking. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness or these good works, loving God with your strength. Beware of doing that before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verse 4 uh, which is specifically an example of giving, which I'm about to j dive into. He says, you're giving, let it be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, I'll keep coming back to this, but this is crucial to make sure you understand. If we're going to love God with our strength, it cannot be secretly, I'm trying to do this for other people to see me. Because that is what will burn you out more than anything else. If you're serving, if you're giving, if you're doing it because of this vibrant, loving relationship with the Lord, not content with his eyes seeing you, then that will sustain you over a lifetime because you're, it says he rewards you when you do it in secret. And I want you to think about rewards for a second. You know what the greatest reward is? It's not something material. One of the greatest rewards you and I can receive, especially in this context, is more capacity to love God with everything. That, the fact that you even have an ounce of love for God, it is a miracle. Okay? Now, I, gosh, Lord, help me. I feel real tempted to go on a tangent here. But like the fact that any of you have a desire for God, it is a work of the Holy Spirit, okay? We are born dead in sin, so far from God, no matter our upbringing, okay? But the fact that you're here and you want to love God, you're sitting in this, this is a miracle. It's amazing. Most of the world hates God. They don't say that with their words, but by their actions. There's, there's no love. There's no reference. There's no fear. There's no enjoyment. And in the fact, they hate his rules. They hate his commands. And they redefine his rules and his commands to make it fit on, on theology, Okay? But man, if you're here and you're like, I love him and I submit to him and I actually do want his commands and I do want his ways. Woo, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And that is a reward from God that you would have in your heart something that's, that's, that's burning and desire for more of him. And so think about it that way. Don't think, okay, if I do something in secret, then God's going to give me a $1,000 check. It's like, well, <laughs> that, that $1,000 check doesn't move your heart like the Holy Spirit can when you're increasing in your love and your devotion, your purity, and your abandonment to him. That's a better gift because you can go sell something on Facebook and make $1,000, all right? Right? People do that? All right. All right, let's keep going. All right, loving God with all of our strength includes giving. Let's talk about this for a second. Giving, I do mean financially, this is a dimension of loving God with our financial strength or our financial resources, the resource or the strength of our finances, all right? It's choosing to do so. It's intentional. It's, you know, different than spending or investing. And this type of giving that I'm talking about here is giving that's felt, like you, you feel it, Okay. Now, Philippians 4, this is uh, the passage that Larry reads almost every Sunday. I want to break some of that down for you. So I want you to see a couple things here. Um, I'm gonna, verse 14 through 20 will be on the screen. And the one that we know in this passage is verse 19. It says, My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Anybody thankful for that? God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his, of his glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> we claim that verse without understanding the context he's talking to a church that sacrificially gave finances to provide for paul's ministry so that's the context if you want to claim that verse make sure you're giving a lot of your money so that the work of god's kingdom can be done through his church or through uh, his people all right there you go just want to make sure that things biblical here here verse 14 here he is he says it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Let me comment there. That's, that's interesting that he says that because pretty much he's calling out this church that he was ministering to that didn't give to him. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus. Don't you love that name? Any Epaphroditus out there? All right, probably not. The gifts just sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then here's our verse. May God, and may God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Great passage, but I think there's some things that we can make sure we don't, um, don't miss here. Context of this was about giving and receiving. You can keep it up there just for a little bit. Once you go up to that um, first section. And then another thing, I already mentioned it. The gifts were given to or used by Paul and ministered for his needs. And then Larry mentioned this this morning is the, even though these gifts were given for the purpose of ministry, in, in a sense used by ministers, what Paul is saying is this is an offering to God. This is not a like, horizontal exchange that's going on here. This is actually, even though who, no matter what it's used for, this is an offering to God. At least that's how God sees it. That's really important for us to know when we talk about giving in the church. It's like, it's not just, yeah, okay, I'll help the church out a little bit. No, no, no. This is about your, your love and obedience to God. At least that's how God sees it is an offering that's um, pleasing to him. And the word I also don't want to skip over in verse uh, 18 it's an offering, but it's also a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Sacrifice, acceptable to God. It reminds me of, there's a story um, in the Old Testament with King David where he had a chance to receive this field of this guy for free. But David's like, no, I'm going to pay for this. And here's what he says, because I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me. Woo. Oh, it's great. And I also think of in Mark, I just read this a couple of days ago, this, um, uh, the widow that had just two little coins that added up to a penny. Jesus and his disciples, this is an interesting scenario. They're sitting down and watching people give an offering plate. It's just interesting. I don't, I don't do that, by the way. Just, just, i just like, okay, Jesus did, though. And, and, and he's seeing people throw in a lot of money out of their wealth, and he sees this poor widow. And the only thing he does is just, like, encourage her like and she gave everything is what he said this is all she had and he condones her encourages her says this is what God is pleased with someone that gave everything and felt it because I think what that communicates is there like a deep trust in God to provide our needs a deep trust in God to like he can have it all because I know you'll provide for me so what can this look like practically for us? And I, I want to I stretch you here, even though it might be uncomfortable. Anytime pastors start talking about money and all that stuff, people get uncomfortable. And man, I am so sorry for any way you've been wronged or heard a story about this guy. That, so let me just, for, for the sake of this moment, put all those things aside and let's just see what God's heart is here. Because I think this would help us because I don't want you to miss out on something that really could be a key part of your loving relationship with God because people have taken advantage of money or this, that, or the other. So I want you to be one committed. So what could this look like for us, loving God with our financial strength? I think a, a key one is tithing 10% to your local church community. This is like God's 101 of finances in the Bible. And it's like such a very helpful principle 
because it provides order and structure from the start to how we even manage our finances and our money. And what I like to say, and I've heard other people say this, is this one is kind of a determining factor between God's hand on your money or God's hand off your money is this principle and this trusting principle of tithing. And I love that. So the Lord convicted me of this years ago, and it's been something that, like, yes, I enjoy doing. I love it because I'm going to trust you. 10% of what we have, we bring it back. Also, I love that it's a beautiful picture of how the body of Christ is supposed to work because it's like God, God is so brilliant. He knows that all of us have different variety of space financially, and he doesn't require all of us to get the same amount, but it's like this percentage where we can look around a room like this and say, hey, some of you are making six figures, great. Some of you college students are making zero figures. I mean, one, one figure or two figures, you know, whatever, whatever the number is. But like we're all contributing the same quote-unquote amount, not the same exact number, but the amount because it's, in a sense, 10%. Is this making sense? And I love that because it can produce a sense of appreciation across a room like this. Of all of us are doing our share to provide for the work of God. I love it. And hey, as a pastor, I do this too. The first fruits of what we bring, I give it back over to the Lord in time. Okay, but then just remember, you know, this is not about, you know, to others. This is about your own relationship and loving God with your strength and how this affects your heart. Remember Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. The main thing I want to comment on that is there is something that happens in your heart that's related to what you do with your money. And I just don't want us to miss on that love and vibrancy in our relationship with God because we get nervous about this topic, all right? So there's that. Other ways that it can look is, you know, there's the difference biblically between a tithe and an offering. Offering, and there's a lot I can go into here, but it's anything above 10%, and that's to anyone that has needs, okay? It could be missionaries that we're sending out. It could be helping the poor, the homeless. Uh, the last couple weeks, there were multiple different rounds of different life groups raising funds for different folks that had medical needs or different things like that. It's beautiful. It's an amazing way to love God with our financial strength is looking for those opportunities. And the last thing I'll say before I move on here is remember the key word in the greatest commandment, all. Everybody say all. all. And I want to encourage you, stretch yourself in this area of loving God with your financial strength. Stretch yourself. Like, act now. You cannot outgive God. You will be okay. And another way to say it is, like, don't settle for bare minimum in this area. I don't want to hold back because I know this topic might offend some of you. Don't hold back. Don't, like, love God with the strength of your finances. Love him with it. He is so pleased with it. Give in such a way that you feel it. So I was processing this message. I felt challenged. And we, we give, you know, but I'm like, I want to I make sure that I'm not settling, but I want to give where I feel it and being stretched in this area because I want to love God with my strength. All right, moving on. Let's go to number two, speaking. Everybody say speaking. This is loving God with the strength of our words, the strength of our words. Proverbs 18, 21, a lot of you are familiar with this, says this. There is uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, guys, what you and I say and how we say it has the power and the strength of life and death. It has dramatic effect on people, on situations, even on yourself, and it affects God. Ephesians 4, this little reference, it talks about the Holy Spirit is grieved, and it's related to speaking and our words. So it affects God, how we speak. Have you guys ever wondered what God thinks about what you're saying? And also, here's another question. When does God hear you? 
just in this room, you know, when you're greeting one another, I love you, God, hi, brother, hi, sister, good to see you, I love you, God, I love you. When does he hear you? <laughs> Woo! Fear of God alert. He hears you always. Okay, I'm starting with myself. Like every, he knows. And listen, it takes energy, it takes effort in exerting of self-control to say certain things or not say certain things. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Like, take that opportunity to love God with your strength by either holding your tongue or speaking when you need to speak. Okay, what can this look like practically for us? Loving God with the strength of our words and our speaking. One, refuse to gossip, refuse to slander, refuse to speak anything negative about another person. Refuse it. This topic of slander and gossip is so acceptable in our culture. It's literally how certain different uh, platforms function is it feeds off of the latest gossip. It feeds off of the latest slander. As the people of God, do not agree with that. And if you mess up because you said something you shouldn't have said, then repent and repent quickly. Confess the person you were talking to. Say, I should not have said that about this person or about this church or about this thing. And go low and repent and ask God for grace to change and set your heart in a way that is in agreement with the Lord. Say, I'm not going to speak evil against someone. Another way you could do it is reject every form of complaining and grumbling. Instead, be thankful. As you know what got a bunch of Israelites killed in the desert? Complaining. Wow, of all things. <laughs> yes, I said they got killed. Okay, so that, from complaining. Be thankful. Be careful. Now, what I don't mean is that you can't have a hard day and you need to kind of try to process that with somebody. But do it in a place where you're trying to, like, weed out the complaining. Weed out the hard stuff to present, uh, like, a thankful and grateful heart. Another way we can apply this, very similar to the first one, is bless those who curse you. Bless those. Everybody say bless. No matter what they did to you or what they said to you, do not slander back. This is the trap of the enemy to get you to sin in the very same way that they've sinned against you. And you get into this cycle of slander, slander back, slander, slander back. Don't take that bait. Forgive, bless, and refuse to speak evil. Now, what I'm not saying is a couple things is just allow yourself to get run over and abused all the time by anybody and everybody. That's not what I'm saying. There is a place to stand up and say, hey, that is not, I don't appreciate that. There's a place to say, hey, this is not okay. I would ask you to please stop talking to me like that or talking about that person. Now, there's a place to stand up. So that's, I'm not saying, you know, go low and get run over. But the majority of this area is, in a sense, a place that we need to make sure that we have the fear of the Lord and are loving him with our words and our strength. What I'm also not saying is that you don't ever speak out against evil in general, okay? And that you never say that this thing or that thing is bad. Here's an easy example that I'm going to dive into in the month of November, okay? The way our culture teaches about sexuality is completely against God's way. And it's okay to say that in the house of God and make sure that we're clear about what does God say about human sexuality. Okay? And it is evil. It is, it is dark to try to teach children at a young age they can form and mutilate their body. It's, it's wrong. But I'm not going to go out and just blast every single whatever group 
because I know that that's wrong. I'm just going to be clear and secure before God. I'm going to look at the scriptures myself, and I'm going to stand against evil, but not in a way that's slanderous against somebody else. Hopefully that's making sense. And there's your little heads up. November, we're talking about human sexuality. There you go, biblical sexuality. Get ready. It's going to be so fun. All right. All right, let's keep going. Uh, fasting. Let me speed through some of these um, to close up here. So fasting. This is loving God with our physical strength, and I would even add mental strength. It's like you're giving up physical strength or even mental clarity when you fast out of love for God. And there is something about it that honestly is so freeing. Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, Jesus clearly teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and other places that um, his disciples and followers would fast. Okay, he says things like in Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, do it this way. And then when asked about fasting, and some of the disciples of John and the Pharisees came up to Jesus, and they said, hey, why don't your disciples fast right now? His answer was pretty clear. He's like, oh, they're not right now, but they will, because they'll miss me. Okay. Another, te- another teaching, another day. Okay, but here's my point on this fasting thing. Don't view fasting as radical. If you do teach, like, I think that this is radical, then you'll always keep it in an optional category in your walk with God. Fasting, at least biblically, is clearly a normal expression of New Testament Christianity. One pastor said it this way, there is no such thing as New Testament Christianity without regular fasting. Now, there are some situations you need to be mindful of, like if you're pregnant or nursing, and we have plenty of resources on our website for that, okay? Or if you have major medical um, conditions, of course, now, medical condition is not, I get hungry. <laughs> That's not a medical condition. We all get hungry. <laughs> all right? But some of you, you really do have some things that you need to be mindful of. But here's what fasting does. Okay? One, it causes us to rely not on our own strength and energy, but on the Lord's. I'm giving up some of my physical energy and strength because I'm believing by faith that you're going to give me what, I, what I'm giving up. Okay, number two, it positions us to grow in intimacy with the Lord, growing our dependence, growing in our trust of the Lord. And it frees us, number three, it frees us from the idolatry of food or the idolatry even broader of comfort and ease. It's what feels good or tastes good. Now, food is not bad. Things that taste good is not bad. What a gift. But occasionally in our life, if we give that thing up, what we're saying is it's not going to control me. And what fasting does, maybe more than anything, is it exposes lies and it exposes weaknesses. Okay, so what can this look like practically for us, loving God with our physical strength through fasting? One, incorporate fasting into a normal weekly rhythm. Okay, if this is brand new for you, start with one meal a week. And then during that meal, maybe it's lunch or whatever, like come up to the prayer room and spend an hour praying. Okay, or do it once a month. Whatever is the first step for you is totally fine. First time I started trying to fast in my life, I failed over and over and over again. Here's the best example. I'd have like a fasting day, but I'd have like three smoothies from Smoothie King, that like the Hulk, which is like 2,000 calories each. So I'm like having 6,000 calories on a fasting day. It's like, well, I'm not eating. I'm just drinking 2,000 calorie smoothie. Anyways, I was really growing in my dependence on the Lord for sure. Okay, but as you start to learn and receive God's grace, you know, maybe stretch it like, hey, one day a week. Um, or another couple examples of how to incorporate this is anytime we do a corporate fast, which we usually have at least one in the fall and one in the spring, there's one coming up um, beginning of October, uh, then jump in. And it's always better, I would say, to fast alongside your community when you're going after something together, praying with people together, hungry together, and then you get to go break it together. It's just a great, 
All right. One thing, uh, another thing here on fasting is ask God for the grace of fasting or grace to fast. You ever thought about that? Like if fasting is hard for you, then just say, Lord, give me the grace to fast. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to like fasting. <laughs> it just means you'll end up doing it. And when you, when you know you've received the grace of fasting, you ended up doing it. Understand? Even if you felt horrible all the way through. I'm just telling you from my own experiences. And then you start to see the fruit of, man, I am loving God more than I'm loving this. Man, Lord, there's breakthrough. There's greater intimacy that I'm having with the Lord. The last thing I want to say about fasting is don't be afraid of fasting. Oftentimes, the fear of fasting is worse than fasting. I'm serious. <laughs> I will not survive. <laughs> yes, you will. All right, moving on. Okay, last two, praying and serving, and then we will wrap up here. So um, both of these two, I would say, are ways that we're loving God with the strength of our time. Everybody say time. Like time is a resource that every one of us have, and when we're, lo- when we're praying or when we're serving, we're using that time. And here's what's unique about time as opposed to physical energy and strength or as opposed to finances. is like there's never a way to get time back. Like, you can give $1,000, but really you can work pretty hard in one week selling a bunch of things and make that $1,000 back. But you can never do that with time. Okay, you're giving 30 minutes. You're giving an hour of time just connected with the Lord, praying. You're spending emotional energy as well. Okay, and you don't get that back. So um, what you're doing when you're praying is you're giving up time that you could be doing something else. And, you know, as a pastor, this is crucial to me because most people think that, you know, my job is all about reaching more people and ministering to them, and it is kind of right. (laughs) Um, So when I'm spending time praying, in a sense, I'm giving up time I could be meeting with people, okay? But here's what happens. Not only do I get, when I do pray or spend time praying, you know, I get to reap the benefit of being more filled with God so that when I am meeting with people, it's not just my charisma or my personality, but it's, man, there's a strength within me that comes from the Lord. So that's happening. But also, I'm like getting to work that muscle of just dependence, intimacy with the Lord, and like letting, trusting God, he's going to multiply my time back. My favorite thing is, <laughs> my favorite thing is when I like say no to hanging out or meeting with somebody, and then that same person at that same time shows up to the prayer room when I'm in there praying. It's like, yeah, I can't meet with you because I'm meeting with God. Sorry, dude. <laughs> and I love that. Okay, but there is a, there's a priority here that I think is, is, is really helpful, at least for me, and I think could be helpful for you. Um, practically, what this could look like, one is set aside daily time. My encouragement is in the morning to be alone with God. We often call that time with Jesus. Okay, another way to practically apply this is come to different prayer meetings that we have or spend additional time in the prayer room throughout the week whenever you can. All right, serving, last but not least, band, go ahead and come on up. Let's talk about this for a minute. <clears throat> this is loving God again with the strength of our time, but also the strength of our energy. And this one in particular, the serving one, is um, the one that we need to make sure we are doing this unto God and not unto people. Because serving oftentimes deals with serving other people. But if you're serving other people to be noticed by them, to be thanked by them, to be served back by them, by them, then you will burn yourself out. <laughs> and you'll miss out on that working that muscle of actually loving God with your strength, and it'll be robbed because you're so concerned about someone else seeing what you're doing. So we do it unto the Lord. And guys, there is a place in serving that you find Jesus in new ways. 
there is, like, here's a couple of different examples that might help you. Like, when I went on my first mission trip outside the United States, I'd been a follower of Jesus for uh, maybe six or seven years. When I went on my first mission trip outside the United States, I discovered a new dimension of God in his heart that was so huge, okay? And the reason is because I had only loved God in America, <laughs> And it was just such a simple, like, light bulb for me. I'm like, oh, when you go do new things, you experience new dimensions or new aspects of God and his heart and how he cares. Same thing is true for uh, when we embrace a lifestyle of serving. John 12, 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, my father will honor him. So where Jesus is, is in that place of serving. I just picture him washing the disciples' feet. That's where he is, right there. And when we serve others, we serve unto the Lord, then we're finding in a different place of Jesus, a different heart, a different part of God's heart. Now, what can this look like for us today? One, this is just in the day-to-day. Consistently try to do things for others that you will get no credit for and you'll get nothing in return for. Another way that's, you know, easy, you know, this, um, even within our church body, you know, today that's uh, new volunteer training. It's like, hey, if you're not serving yet, that's an easy way to jump right in. That's not the only way. At life group, if you're in a life group, you know, ask your life group leaders, how can I serve? What can I bring? You know, how can I clean up afterwards? You know, we go to life group, at least family life group, and we just destroy those houses. Okay, there's food everywhere, cheese everywhere. Every week, cheese, no matter what we're having, cheese everywhere. <laughs> On the floor. It's a little shredded cheese, you know? All right. All you people in family life, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Helping people move. I remember this story. Gosh, bear with me. But uh, we helped a, this is back in College Station where we used to live for moving up here, and um, we were helping this family move into a new house, and they needed to make sure it was clean just kind of one more time before they brought other stuff in. And um, anyways, I was, I was uh, designated to the bathroom, and uh, it was glorious. Jesus was there. <laughs> and uh, I remember just scrubbing away, and um, I reached behind to clean some of the toilet, and there was a used feminine product behind the toilet. And I just, it just hit me in this moment of, how did I get here? <laughs> what am I doing? This is gross, but there's, God met with me in that moment, and he said, Mitchell, th- I'm here. I'm in this, like, undesirable place of service, and I'm willing to go even much lower than this to serve my people, and it reminded me of that John 12, 26 passage, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to miss out on those opportunities just because they're hard or inconvenient. So let's do this. Let's respond to the Lord. We always like to close our service by giving you a couple reflection questions to think about. Here's my encouragement during this time. Keep your journal open or open up your notes app on your phone and just start jotting down some of these things, answers to these things. And hey, just, just notice the way that these questions are worded. You know, we're directing, at least most of these things, directing it to God. So this is a moment between you and God to respond personally. You know, quiet your heart, quiet your mind and and listen to him. And as you guys kind of think through these questions, in just a few minutes, the band will start playing and we'll respond and pray over one another before we head out. All right? So take a second right now. Just talk to the Lord about these things. So I'd love for us to have some application points to today's message. So go ahead.
right now. Start talking to God about this.